0: You're listening to Nightlight Radio Network. This is Dr. Bob Hieronymus, co-host of 21st Century Radio. We are happy to present this rebroadcast of our show on Nightlight. Well, as we approach our 30th year of 21st Century Radio, we've placed considerable interest in the near-death experience. A few of those who've joined us over the decades are Dr. Larry Dossie, Dr. P.M.H. Atwater, Chris Carter, Betty and Bob Luca, Dr. Raymond Moody a number of times, Dr. Stevens A. Stephen a. Swartz, Dr. Rick Strassman, Dr. John Turner, Dr. Carol Zaleski, and a dozen or so more. Well, tonight we are joined once again by Dr. P.M.H. Atwater to review one of the best books on this most important topic, Dying to Know You. Proof of God in the Near-Death Experience, published by Rainbow Bridge Books. The Near-Death Experience verifies the teachings of the world's great religions, except for one thing. The Near-Death Experience shows us that God is the God of all. P.M.H. Atwater is a world-class authority on the Near-Death Experience and her latest book, is one that embraces the collective voice, the sum of the many. Nearly 4 decades of listening, carefully noting what nearly 4000 child and adult experiencers of near-death states shared, what they saw, heard, felt, and suddenly absolutely knew. That fills every page. Books are about personal stories are, well, they're wonderful. Yet the real thunder comes from that collective. PMH has always focused on the large story since the beginnings of her research in 1978, and this time, though, it is that deepest of the deep, the very richness of vision and mystery that speaks. Dying to know you gets right to the core, the very heart of the world's longing for the truth. The subject is God, Allah, deity, and the stage is that source place of all that is love. A small but power-packed book that came to be under unusual circumstances when air itself became conscious with an intelligence of its own. Well, welcome back to 21st Century Radio, P.M.H. Atwater.
1: It's fun to be here.
0: Well, is it fun already?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, just, just love to be with you guys.
0: Thank you. Well, what makes this book unusual? How did it come to be?
1: Well, it's the only book ever ever written so far, the only book that exists, that, that actually consists of, really, over 5,000 voices of adults and children. So these are all near-death experiencers all over the, uh, the world, uh, mainly in the United States and Europe, but actually all over the world. Uh, For nearly 40 years of my work, you know, I've been collecting these voices and was finally directed to put them all together, sum them up, and and just let it out. I mean, here is their truth. It's not research. It's not, you know, a personal memoir. It's not an opinion piece. It's not a spiritual piece. This is, you know, you said it was small, but it's power-packed because this is what these people learned know. this is their truth so we've got a book here um uh, that is the people's truth and 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 I'll tell you I am just so uh, I I I'm still inspired by the the way the whole thing came together
0: well we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes but you know this I refer to it, as, and your publishers do too, as a, but this book is really packed with knowledge. That's the most powerful thing about this. This is one of the best of the near-death experience uh, books that I've ever read. And I've, I've not read every one of them, but I've read 30 or 40, to say the least, <laughs> because you get right to the point. Yeah and it's you answer around. and you do answer the important questions and i and i find that that is one of the i am going to be introducing this book to many many skeptics that i know because I it really so. it really gets to the point of what this is all about now tell us how it came to be because this you know <laughs> you're going back to april 19th 2013 uh, what happened
1: well, this is a funny story. <laughs> I guess you must like funny stories. Yes, I do. <laughs> well, <laughs> I was in the plane flying from where I, I live in Virginia, going to um, Northern California to have a couple of weeks of talks. You know, I was going to be traveling around, going from place to place, giving talks and workshops, and I was just, <laughs> Bob, I'm just minding my own business. I'm sitting in that plane, um, you know, on his feet, um, not thinking of anything particularly. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden in front of me, all oh, say maybe oh, about a foot and a half, two feet in front of me. The air started writing a book. Now, <laughs> I, 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 I need to, to be clear here. This was not a disincarnate. This is not a guide. This is not a guardian. I'm wide awake, I'm not channeling. So I, I want everybody to hear this. I am not channeling. All I'm doing is sitting there and watching as the heirs started writing a book. First came the cover. then came uh, 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 title. The, the inter- well, th- then came uh, the frontispiece, then came a front quote. Then came uh, uh, the chapters at that time there were eleven chapters not thirteen as there now is and um, the eleven chapters and and they just kept coming um, but they were like a computer loop it just ke- it just kept coming and coming and coming and and going and going and going mm-hmm. and it, finally after a while of this. <laughs> It occurred to me, I ought to get out a paper and pencil and write this down.
0: (laughs) sure. Yeah, of course.
1: So I wrote it. I started writing down, you know, what was coming. And then we landed. You know, I'm going all in and out of all all of the places I'm supposed to be and doing what I'm supposed to do. And every time I had spare time, that computer loop would start up again. Mm -hmm. And I'd see it. And and uh, and all the verbiage, everything, always the same, going on and on. It kept repeating and repeating. And finally, I got angry. I did. I mean, I've got to admit that I got angry. And I figured, hey, you know, what is this stuff? You know, I, I can't seem to get it to quit. I don't know where it's coming from. I did not give it permission to be here. I know nothing about this except, you know, all this stuff was coming. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like it. So I, it bothered me. So at the end of two weeks, um, I had three days off before I had a, almost another week to go. And I was staying with a friend in Northern California, and he wanted he wanted to take me to uh, the redwoods. Yeah, oh. <laughs> who doesn't want to see the redwoods? Yeah, I mean, fabulous trees. Yeah, and and so to get down there, we drove through Felton, California. Now Felton <laughs> is a little bitty city, and it's very very funky. It is so funky that it has a Sasquatch museum in it.
0: A Sasquatch museum.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's funky. Yeah. And, and the biggest building in the whole town is the its, its Antique Barn. And right next to it is this smaller um, but, but somewhat new-looking uh, wooden building, nice, attractive wooden building, uh, not too many windows, and no signs or anything around it. And then the front, the, the signage on the street said, Greek Orthodox Church. Mm-hmm. So I made a beeline for the church. My yeah. friend was going to the antique barn. I went to the church. It was, not, it was not locked. So I went in. I love Greek Orthodox churches. So I went inside to the Holy of Holies. And I went, you know, literally, I'm down on my hands and, and knees and, and my forehead to the floor. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm begging, I'm praying, and I'm begging. What's going on here? Help me, help me, help me to understand this. And, and I, <laughs> I hear this really soft, grandfatherly voice, and it said, "Hush, child. Hush, child. Now, do your work." And that's it. And 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 I I got up from the floor, relieved. I had a sense of relief, as if this is okay. I can do this. It's it's all right. Mm-hmm. So I did, and I, I and I got the book all written, and I you know send it off to Rainbow Ridge, or I'm about to. Yeah, I sent it off to Rainbow Ridge with eleven chapters. And suddenly, that computer loop came back, the air, and it, it wrote two more chapters. It was little bitty woods. Chapter twelve and chapter thirteen it has thirteen chapters. And in the and in chapter twelve, it just stretched way out scientifically.
0: Oh yes.
1: Things that I would never say. It said with gusto. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, you know, <laughs> I'll do this, and 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 then after I wrote those other two chapters and sent those in, within a week, there was scientific verification came out over the internet and everybody, yeah, you know, and I was notified too. There's there there was scientific verification now that. DNA speaks two languages, not one. And that what we thought was 97% junk DNA is the energetics that manages, runs, and, uh, uh, you know, is the director of of the DNA. DNA cannot function without the 97%, the energetics. We've got the energetics, and we've got the physical, just like a human being. We've got our soul. We've got our body. It's the same thing with DNA. No difference whatsoever. And it is is the energetics that directs and comes from and runs the entire creation universe. And it's just like, I just, wow! So, um... There it is. You know, it came before I got the scientific ver- verification. It's in the book. It came from that. It came from the air. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're if you're going to be shamanic, and I certainly do have a shamanic worldview, uh, I'm sort of raised in that manner, um, in the deserts and the canyons of of southern Idaho. This is where I come from. Is southern Idaho and uh, you're sort of raised with this notion that everything has life. So therefore, air is alive and has life too. And, and so I, you know, I can sort of look back and say, well, um, what seemed to puzzle is really another part of God's world. And, and that air, oxygen, You know all all the the gases that air consists of. They're alive too. Everything is alive. There's nothing in this universe that's not alive.
0: That that is that that is super. (laughs) That is super important. It's really the key, in part. And also, you note at the very end of your book a whole series of scientific breakthroughs in here. But the one that I enjoyed most of all on page one ten is. You said this, look down the center. Would you want to tell us what we see? If when you look down the center, when we come back, we need to take our break here, our first break. But when we come back, tell us, when you look down the center of the DNA double helix, what do you see? And we'll come back with our guest, Dr. PMH Atwater. Dying to know you. Proof of God in the near-death experience. Rainbow Bridge pmh at water.com. Linked on the front page of 21stcenturyradio.com.
2: Hello, this is John
0: Aston. I'm a, an actor, stage, screen, television, and I'm still doing it. However,
2: I spend most of my time teaching theater at Johns Hopkins University. You are listening right now at this moment of time. The 21st Century Radio with Dr. Bob Hieronymus, the sage of the century, and my friend.
0: This is 21st Century Radio, of course. Uh, our guest is Dr. P.M.H. Atwater. And as a matter of fact, I misspoke. It's not Rainbow Bridge. I don't know where, I, but it sounds nice, but it's Rainbow Ridge. Correct. And, uh, you know, You mentioned something about DNA and its importance, but you also noted that looking down the center of the DNA, you see down through its double helix, what do you see?
1: You see a perfect six-pointed star.
0: Why is that important?
1: Any DNA double helix, you look down the middle of it, you see a perfect six-pointed star. You know, that's the symbol throughout history of divinity's handiwork.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Proof of God. God's eternal presence. I mean, mean, what more do you want? There's living proof of God's eternal presence. I mean, to me, it's just wow. Just absolutely wow. By the way, I want to apologize Right now, to you and all of your listeners, I've got a voice of a frog. You do? <laughs> I've been doing a lot of coughing, <laughs> and um, so my my voice is kind of weird. No, it sounds good
0: to me. Yeah, is saying. it okay? <laughs> of course it is. Yeah, it's a very happy voice, and boy, we need happiness at
1: well, this particular Well, I'm a happy person, uh, even even it even if I sound a little funny.
0: <laughs> well, you sound great, hon. Okay. Now, now, this book tackles all the big subjects in life directly. Why do you do that?
1: Well, the, the air did that. I didn't do that.
0: You were just following directions. I, look,
1: this whole book is not my design. It is not my choice. It is not my arrangement. It is not my dream. This whole book came from the air. Now, I can't help but believe, since I had that session in that Greek Orthodox Church, that that this is somehow divinely guided, or God-guided, or whatever you want to call it, because I would have never written this book. Period. End the story. Sorry, wouldn't have done it. It, so, it 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 wrote
0: itself. You know who you sound a little bit like? What? Sir Paul McCartney. <laughs> you know why? You know why? why? Because, as it, as he says, you know there are a number of songs that he didn't write. They just came out of them. Like the Yellow Submarine is one of them. And and you know my friend Jimi Hendrix uh, said the uh-huh. same thing. Many other artists have this same experience all of a sudden. From a higher higher plane of existence comes that information, and it's it's hard to determine exactly where it comes from, but it just happens.
1: Well, you know, it didn't come out of me. It came out of that air. mm -hmm. So I don't know what we're going to call that, but it's my sense that it was divinely guided.
0: Well, I agree with you. I definitely believe it's divinely guided. Uh, you say that 90 to 95% of near-death experiences returned, convinced of God. What about atheists?
1: Well, <laughs> the funny thing about atheists, um, invariably, a lot of atheists, after a near-death experience, go to the atheist church. Did you know there was an atheist church? From your there, book, there I read about it, yeah. There is. And um, and all of them that I've ever been around after the experience are growing. They're happier. Mm-hmm. They have more patience. Um, they have the after effects of the near-death experience, even though they claim um, that, that they, you know, they don't use the word God, but they start talking about this intelligence and this energy. So, hey, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, how do we judge the book by its cover? It seems to it seems to be the same thing.
0: What do you mean by saying the body that appears to be us is a loner?
1: Well, well. It's on loan. It's on loan, Bob. We're a soul. We're not a body. We took on this body. Um, You know, the... uh, um,
0: So that in regards to death, all we're doing is we're dropping the body and getting another body. But not a physical body.
1: What, What the people talk about almost to a person. They say, yes, we have a soul. Although the curriculum of life is written over there, meaning the other side, Mm -hmm. carrying out that curriculum and developing the muscles needed to fulfill it is done here on earth in a body. We've got to have our body to fulfill and develop and play out what that curriculum is, what that greater reality is, what that movement or sense or understanding is that seems to come from that greater intelligence, uh, that curriculum. And, you know, it's written over there. Um, that's where we learn about it. But we have to develop it, work it out, here, And mm-hmm. you can't do it here without a body. So we do need a body. Absolutely.
0: And, and we... And, all you of... know,
1: it's true. We're larger outside of our body than we are inside. That's true. But we're not going to get anything done without this package we're wearing. I, I mean, we're not going to do it. We're not going to fulfill anything. We're not going to learn anything. Um, most of your near-death... Uh, experiencers come back knowing that we are co-creators with a creator we are here to learn creation story but also to be able to create uh we talk about art and i mean you're a great artist you're always creating well it's more than that oh yes you know it's far more than that and you're not going to be able to do any of this you're not going to you're not going to be a co-creator with the crea- Creator unless you have a body you can develop and use and uh, as an instrument to get you there. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, what is the quickest way to ex- assess, access your soul?
1: Well, I think it's through prayer and meditation.
0: Undoubtedly, yeah. Prayer and meditation. The silence,
1: contemplation. Yes. Taking a walk in the woods.
0: Yeah. And you also put a great deal of emphasis in, uh, on service.
1: Well, you know, we, most of us come back infused with that. Yeah. The yeah. idea mm-hmm. is that you have a job to do or your a mission yet to perform. And if you don't have a notion of what that is, and many don't, then, um, you know, there's this sense of service that somehow you, you, you need to help people, that somehow that's the key. And so many of them then, well, all of them, um, all of them that I've ever met uh, put a great emphasis on service, put a great emphasis on helping, put a great emphasis on healing and teaching, and speaking, and assisting others,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and it, it's fabulous, this, this instinct that they have afterward, this drive that they have afterward to do this, mm-hmm. even kids.
0: Well, especially kids, boy, you have a lot of wonderful information here about children, and uh, just how important they are, and of course, a lot of people think their children are important, but... <laughs> but how wise they are in many different areas.
1: Well, they come back more mature. Uh, This is one of the interesting things about the after effects, uh, because there is a pattern of physiological and psychological after effects. So if we're talking about the near-death experience, what we're really talking about is a phenomenon that consists both of the experience and the after effects. You cannot talk about the near-death experience and be honest and cover the territory if you don't also talk about the after effects. You have to talk about both. And um, so if you're talking about what we're like after we return, adults tend to be more charmed-like. Children tend to be more adult-like.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's very... It switches. Yeah.
1: And invariably that's true.
0: Well, especially, there are so many areas of your book, and yet it's less than 125 pages, and it's just so solid. It is so solid, and it's that's one of the good things about this piece. It's one, it's something you can read within a couple of days on the beach, or in your house, or whatever, uh, and learn a great deal from.
1: I'm I, amazed at the number of people who read the book and get a hold of me later on, or send me an email, or you know whatever, and say and say they start crying in the book.
0: Sure. I can see why.
1: A lot of them start crying in the book.
0: Why do you um, think that is, dear?
1: Well, it, it, the book directly faces and talks about and reveals all of our longings, all of our fears, all of our deepest issues. You know, you don't have to go to Madame Blavatsky. You don't have to go to some medium... You don't have to go to Esoteric Truth. You don't have to go to the Catholic Church. You don't have to go to the Baptist Church. You don't have to take any of those routes, although you can if you want to. But in the book, it's direct. Everything is covered. Everything about life and death is covered in this book.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And it's direct.
0: Now, most people learn about near-death, or had learned about near-death experiences through uh, Dr. Raymond Moody's work. Your work differs a little bit from his work. Yes, it does. And mm-hmm. and, and on very important points. Uh, let, let's touch on how you view the near-death experience. What happens, what is the process by which you go through? a near-death experience, because well, you had I, I, you had I, three of them, right? Yeah,
1: I had three in three months, Bob. <laughs> three in three months. and <laughs> I you... look back at it, and I call it the heavenly sledgehammer effect. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, that, <laughs> that doesn't explain how stubborn I was before. I don't know what will. Uh, yeah. but, but you need to realize uh, my motivation was very different from his. I was told to be a researcher in my third near-death experience by uh, a voice that wasn't an angel, a, guardi- a, a guide or a guardian or anything like this. It was a voice that was so big. It's like all of creation spoke to me. And, and in this bit, I called it the voice like none other. And, and it said, and I quote, test revelation. You are to do the research. One book for each death. And uh, book number one, it did not name. I think that was Coming Back to Life, my first book. Uh, Book number two, it did name, and that's Future Memory. And that really is my favorite book that I've uh... written so far. I mean, it's really a doozy yeah, it book. is.
0: It is, and it's one of my wife's favorite books too. About your work.
1: Oh, I just love Future Memory. Yeah. Um, because it, you know, it's not a book; it's a labyrinth.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Every sentence, every paragraph, every page is part of the math I use to create the labyrinth format. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so when you read Future Memory, when you enter the mouth or the, or the beginnings of the book, which which is like the mouth of a, of a sight labyrinth, uh, you have to stay on the path. And the book will turn on you just like a, a, a labyrinth turns on you and, and for the same reason. And if you stay on the path, go straight through the book and don't skip read. Can't read the, the last first or you'll wonder why I ever wrote such a dumb book because it won't hold together. You have to, you know, have to go straight through and if you do that, the book lifts your consciousness up to the next highest level. It's really not a book. It's a psychotronic device. And it's it's that voice like none other that showed me how to do it. Is that so that me? was book two. Book three is a special manual that I'm now working on. And uh, it's like no manual I've ever seen before. But, you know... Uh, I promised God I'd do it, so here I am doing it.
0: So you made (laughs) made these promises and you fulfilled them?
1: Well, yes. So here I am (laughs) after my near-death experience in 1977. And uh, most people, most people, Bob, don't really realize that the majority of near-death cases come from violence or trauma. So you've got a body to rebuild afterward. So... Uh, Most people, you know, you're working with your body and and you're thinking great thoughts and you're just sort of wondering what to do about this thing that happened to you, but yet you still have to, you know, (laughs) you still have to take care of that body. Well, that was my case. I was one of those that had to relearn how to crawl, how to stand, Um how to climb how to walk how to run how to tell the difference between left and right how to see properly hear properly and rebuild all my belief systems and it took me a year to do that and it's um all kinds of exercises constant exercises every single day Mm -hmm. uh and went through a whole lot of stuff and and this is going on in my head um that i have to do research well look i'm a cop's kid i was raised in a police station so i know about investigations Mm -hmm. i know how to do that i was raised to do that so and dad would always say that the body says more than the mouth does oh so so you have to watch a person's body you you have to watch carefully what they're doing. Their shoulders, their arms, their legs, mm-hmm. their eyes. Um, and if anybody walks by when you're having a session, what happens then? And so you're watching everything. And um, it, you know when they're talking, the only thing you can say is, "Well, tell me more." And?
0: You'll have to tell us more right after this break because uh, I've been very carefully listening to you and forgetting that I'm supposed to be doing a commercial here. So, let's take our break right now with Dr. P.M.H. Atwater Dying to Know You Proof of God and the Near Death Experience Rainbow Ridge P.M.H. Atwater.com Link to the front page of 21stCenturyRadio.com When we come back also we want to find out what does God look like?
1: Hello, you're listening to Mayor Cromwell, author of The Great Mother Bible, and it's been a sheer joy to be with Dr. Bob Hieronymus on 21st Century Radio, and if you want to learn about me and my writing, you can go to mayorcromwell.com.
0: The book, of course, is Dying to Know You. Now, I like that title. Because it has multiple, like everything within this work, there are multiple levels of interpretation. There are multiple levels of meaning.
1: Well, you know, that title was given by my publisher.
0: Well, they did a good job because yeah. it's, you know, dying to the, the know you. The second
1: half I did. But, but the first part, mm-hmm. dying to know you, that, that was from my, my publisher.
0: Yeah, I'd I'd like the multiple levels of meaning within that, because knowing you need to know yourself, man, thyself, uh, I don't know why they always said man, oh, they probably meant manas, which is uh, genderless, man, know thyself, presume not God to scan the proper study of mankind as man, or manas, mind.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. that's the same thing. Now, tell us, what does God look like?
1: Well, I'm, I'm sort of hanging here because I, I, I want um, the, the listening audience to know a little bit more about why I'm a little bit different than the other researchers.
2: Well,
0: go, the, Number one,
1: I was told to do the work mm-hmm. by the other side. Yeah. I went out and did the work for about three and a half years before I ever knew anybody else was doing it. I was all alone. It was, it was Kenneth Ring who found out about me from another near-death experiencer, and he traced me down by telephone, came down to Harrisonburg, Virginia, where my husband and I were living at the time, stayed, stayed overnight with, with us. We talked all night, and the next morning he said, you're ahead of everybody else. You've got to come up to stores, Connecticut, and go through our archives, and so that's what I did, and and that's how I got started with IAMS, the International Association of Near Death Studies, and that's when I started writing about my work. So, um, so I started seeing everything as if I were a police investigator, and. Um, and that's how i work yet today so in that sense i am a little bit different but i am thorough i cross check everything with other people different ages different states different times over and over and over again because i'm you know never satisfied i want to know okay what how to. How does a person from Mexico look at this? What, what's their experience like? How about a person from Thailand? How does that experience compare with someone from the state of Wyoming? And very often, I'd have people draw it, mm-hmm. and the, the drawings tell you a lot. So I I'm, look—I'm a field worker. <laughs> I'm out there in the field doing my stuff. I'm not some scientist sending out questionnaires, because if you send out, I, 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 did, I, did, I did do three of them, um, but only after the fact. If, if you're sending out first time a questionnaire, um, you've got words already mentioned in there. You're biasing your work by using a questionnaire. You're biasing your work by using a website. Because people could read it, people couldn't see it, and there's the words. So I didn't do any of that. I was just a good cop on the beat. Um, So that's why my work's a little bit different. Okay, what does God look like? Yeah. Well, I think we're going to have to talk about power. Because... If you're talking about looks, what you're really talking about is power and light and voltage. Um, When an adult near-death experiencer talks about light and talks about light being God, they, they describe that light as brighter. Than 10,000 suns, instantly you're fried, but there's no pain. And, and there's something about this light. It knows your name. It knows all about you. You can't lie to this light. You, you, you can't mix anything up because the light knows. And you can converse with the light. And children talk about this kind of being, too. I, I, I want to contrast the, uh, the adult with the child, because the adult invariably will see this incredibly the big, huge light. You know, how, how do you describe a light that big that's brighter than 10,000 suns? Well, it's a mega light. Okay, so let's take into, and, and there's something about the love, this light emanates. It's just, woo gets to you. Okay, so there's the adults. Some of them describe a figure. Some of them describe a shape. But the vast majority talk about light. When they're talking about what God looks like, they're talking about Not only what God looks like, but what God feels like. Okay, the average child, on the other hand, will invariably see a man. They'll see a grandfatherly type or a fatherly type. But what I love about kids, you know, (laughs) they just get out there. Uh, They'll go right up to this God figure, and they'll say, is this what you really look like? (laughs) And invariably, that grandfather or fatherly figure will burst into this incredible light. And they do the same, kids do the same thing with angels. Uh, I I haven't heard of an adult yet that did, but but kids do. And uh, they'll go up to an angel, and now most kids, Really, young kids never use the term angel. They'll say the bright ones, or the special ones, or the people, or the love, loving ones. Um, what about? They need to be a little bit older before they use the word angel. Uh-huh. So it's a, Invariably, they see them with wings, by the way.
0: Butterfly, um, you mentioned also.
1: Yeah, some of yeah, saw them as butterflies. They'll go up to these angels, and they'll, they'll do the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, is this what you really look like? And, and and that angel will burst into light, just like God did, only the light isn't quite that big. Uh, but, you know, they burst into the light, too. And, and, you know, if you're talking about the other side, If you're talking about the beings over there, or if you're talking about whatever greets you, if you're talking about angels or God or any of this, invariably you are talking about voltage because these beings, these lights, are so powerful.
0: Now you note that the light of God is triune in nature. Could you talk a little bit about that? We only got about a minute before we run out of this hour, and we can continue it well, next hour. Well, the
1: triune nature is a little bit different than what you hear in the Bible, and and uh, you get this a lot from kids, although adults will do it too, but mostly from children. And and children will describe this this raw, piercing, wow light. You know that this this ah. Ten thousand suns, kind of light, and and then they'll describe a dark or black light. Many times has pur- purple tinges in it, and uh, th- this this dark light or this black light, there's something very warm and and cozy and healing and just incredibly wise and special.
0: We'll need to return to the uh, dark or black light and get into the bright and white light after we return from our uh, news. I'm Dr. Bob Hieronymus, a lowly Ph.D., hanging out in this part of the universe. And, of course, there are many universes, megaverses, etc. Our executive producer and research assistant, who really is my boss, is Laura Cortner, And our engineer tonight is Brian Farlow. We are talking about the book, Dying to Know You, Proof of God in the Near-Death Experience by P.M.H. Atwater. And uh, this very small book, which is only a hundred and some pages, is packed with information on every page. If I held up this book to the microphone. Now, some of you guys who have been listening for almost 30 years realize you can see through the microphones here. You know, just look at your speaker and you'll be able to see this. There is not a single page of this book that I have not written on. As a matter of fact, it's almost become kind of like a small encyclopedia so I can find this information right away. Now, uh, I've talked about the way I like to read, but it's the way I like to read books because this book now becomes part of... uh, many many uh, books in my life that i consider to be important and it's so important yeah, i'll tell you everyone in your family is going to want to borrow this book we are talking about we were talking about god and what god looks like and uh we were learning that uh from from this particular work that there is a well I would say it's triune in nature the type of light that we're going to be talking about and we covered the first two the primary light and the dark and black light and we were moving towards the bright or white light now uh, are you there Yeah. okay I betcha. okay now start where we kind of left off and because I think this is super important light is up. Uh, you know I did a I did a painted a bus once we called it Light, L. I. G. H. T. It was sent up the Woodstock and it became the Woodstock bus. Um, and as a matter of fact it was Oh well, I
1: remember that one.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah the Woodstock bus. Light yeah. it's you know, we've you know, light is really quite a multi leveled meaning of, of light. Now let's let's continue with what you were talking about.
1: Well that raw piercing light doesn't seem to have any special color. It's more of a radiance, a very piercing radiance. And that dark or black light with maybe a little purple in it, uh, that's very healing and very comforting, and there's something super wise about that light. And then there's this white light, and this white light is so loving and so incredibly wondrous that that you just sort of lose yourself in in this incredibly uh, white or bright or maybe a little silver-gold in it, but mostly white light? Well, the the kids, (laughs) the kids set us straight. They say, well, that black light or that dark light, that's mother light. That white light or that incredibly loving light, that's father light. But the raw, piercing light, that incredibly powerful, powerful light, that's God's light. And the mother light and the father light, they come from God's light. So the the kids set us straight really fast. Mm -hmm. And, you know, being bathed in light at the other side of death is more than life-changing. And I'd like to just sort of read a couple of passages from the book that will give you more of a sense of how people are affected and um, how they regard God. That light is the very essence, the heart and soul, the all-consuming consummation of ecstatic ecstasy. It is indeed a million sons of compressed love dissolving everything unto itself, annihilating thought and cell, vaporizing humanness and history into one great brilliance of all that is, all that ever was, and all that will ever be. You know the light is God. Nobody has to tell you that. You know. And you can no longer believe in God afterward, for belief implies doubt. Mm -hmm. There is no more doubt. None. You know God. And you know that you know, and you're never the same again. And you know who you are. A child of God. A cell in the greater body. An extension of the one force an expression from the one mind. No more can you forget your identity or deny or ignore or pretend it away. There is only one, and you are of the one. One. The light does this to you. It cradles your soul in the heart of its pulse beat, and it fills you with love, shine, and you melt away as the you you think you are reforming as the root you that you really are. And at last you can remember, God as nameless presence exists beyond what words can tell. A conscious, intelligent, and creative principle so great that it envelops and permeates all levels, all things, all possibilities, all potential all aspects of creation, all belief
0: systems. Yeah, I mean this book is full of it. It sure is. Other, uh, but it's also filled with other, other knowledge and information, such as how, how is God forever changing? You
1: know, this is this conundrum of God never changes, but yet God is always changing.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And and that's explained, I think, pretty well in the book Future Memory. When yeah. you look at electrons. Yeah.
0: That's true, yeah.
1: So th- there's this sense that maybe God is always changing. Well, maybe it's us that always is changing in our point of view, or our slant, or, or uh, the way we're viewing God, or feeling God, or being one with God, that certainly is always changing. You know, um, this incredible experience, any transformation of consciousness, I don't care what it is, that really is intense, takes you to the same place. The near-death experience any intense transformation of of consciousness, they all take you to the same place. And that place is oneness, one God, one people, one family, one existence, one law, which is love, one commandment, which is service, one solution to problems, which is forgiveness. Did you know, Bob, that most of the saints canonized by the Catholic Church had a near-death experience as a charm.
0: No, I didn't know until I read your book.
1: And this is also true of all the great psychics. Edgar Casey had a near-death experience at the age of five. He did not have any of his abilities until after his near-death experience he drowned. And after that, that's when um, his... Um, incredible abilities just bloomed. Mm -hmm. You know, most of your um, really creative inventors, healers, musicians, spiritual teachers, um, all had near-death experiences as a child.
0: One of the key problems within our culture today is fear, especially fear of the unknown and what happens after death. Now, this is one of the more important aspects of, of your book, Because if you understand, if you read, anyone who reads this book is going to understand that it is not something really to fear. I've lost so many of my friends recently, and it doesn't seem to be so hard on them. It seems to be a little bit harder on myself.
2: Yeah, I hear you. (laughs) I hear
0: you. Even if it's our little dog or anything else there. But... But that's one of the great values of your book. It does dispel fear. You, you note that you don't die when you die. You shift your consciousness and you actually, uh, well, speed well,
2: you up. You shift to another level.
0: Yes, you shift to another level. You are still there. Your being is still there. You're just not in your physical but Bob, body.
1: Just look at the f- four words, the main four words. The main things that uh, that near-death experiencers say after their experience, it's the same four words. I, I'm saying this from uh, being around or having sessions with thousands and thousands of experiencers. It's the same, it's, they say the same thing, the same four words. Always there is life. Always. It's just four words. Always there is life. But if you really look at that, that means there's no such thing as a before life. There's no such thing as a now life. There is no such thing as an afterlife. What it means is we always have existed. We exist now. We always will exist because eternity is our home.
0: Now, you also note that you state that hellfire and brimstone stories are few and far between.
1: Well, they're not rare. In my research base, one out of seven. Mm -hmm. And I honestly think there are more than that. Uh, But but people won't talk about them. they, they, They won't come up to any researcher or anybody else and share that kind of experience. Um, and for probably varied reasons, but, you know, one out of seven. Um, So I wouldn't say that they're rare, but people do have them. Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing to me, uh, with heaven and hell, um, if you really look at what people are describing, what I'm noticing um, once a person dies, In other words, on the other side, there seems to be lots and lots of layers, sort of like a layer cake. Yeah, I I
0: like that analogy.
1: Yeah, it's like a layer cake. Yeah, and and the lower levels are very slow moving and Mm -hmm. heavy. Yeah, the the higher levels are faster moving, and and more light filled, and you go to whatever level. Is it, you resonate with so so you, you you're you, um, what you are inside yourself your frequency of vibration who you really are that that's you that that's your resonation you will go or be drawn to or guided to that that resonation that frequency so you will, uh, you will match, you'll be taken to where it is, wherever it is, you match, or you'll just go there. But, but the interesting thing to me, after all these thousands of people, I discovered that, that there's no top and there's no bottom to this thing. Uh, in other words, you're not going to rot for he- forever in hell, and you're not going to spend forever playing a harp in heaven. There's no top and there's no bottom. And what seems to run this mechanism or this construct is choice. Us. We. God doesn't judge us. We judge ourselves. And we put ourselves wherever it is we need to be. But we don't have to stay there. So that to me was just so free. But, But if you're going to talk about fear, let's be honest here. The greatest fear we have in living out our life on earth is not what might happen to us, but what might be expected from us if we recognized who we really are. Yeah. You know,
0: it turns everything no. around. Well, with that, let's take a break, and we'll return with our guest, Dr. P.M.H. Atwater. The book is Dying to Know You, Proof of God in the Near-Death Experience, Rainbow Ridge.
1: Hi, I'm Rev. Dr. Karen Tate. I'm the author of Goddess Calling, Inspirational Messages and Meditations of Sacred Feminine Liberation Theology, and the radio show host of Voices of the Sacred Feminine Radio on Blog Talk. My website is com, And you've been listening to 21st Century Radio with Dr. Bob Hieronymus. I hope you'll read my books and discover why the spirituality of the sacred feminine is today's new liberation theology, setting us free from the domination and exploitation of patriarchy and how that patriarchy has kept women and men from achieving their fullest potential.
0: Well, it certainly has, that's for sure. Uh, patriarchy is live and well within the Republican administrations. Has always been that way. Oh, by the way, PMH has a free monthly newsletter. Yes, I do. Yes, you do. Now, why don't you tell us? <laughs>
1: well, it's only for the curious. <laughs> okay.
0: Well, we got a lot of curiousness. If you got
1: curious people, yes, we do. You want to? You want to get my free monthly newsletter because? Um, You know, you never know what's going to be in it, and it'll be all kinds of different subjects. Um, It's off my website. Um, Get on my website, you know, www.pmhatwater.com. Just pmhatwater.com. And scroll over to Newsletter and sign up. There's an archive there of previous issues, so you can see what I've done in the, the past and how the newsletter has evolved over the years, um, because it's now much bigger than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and this this new one that's coming out in October, unfortunately it's late, but it's coming out. Um, the featured um, story in that is about the Finhorn Gardens in Scotland.
0: Oh, Finhorn Gardens. I
1: was just there a couple of weeks ago. You were. I was a featured speaker at their conference, We Do Not Die. That was the name of it. Yeah. And I was there, and, you know, I I used to advertise the place and write articles about it back in the 60s.
2: Mm-hmm. So yeah, my consciousness
1: that. had been with these people for a long time. So I told everybody, uh, finally, I got to bring my body with me. <laughs> 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 so I was fighting. But it oh. is. It is different from anybody, any place else I've ever been to. There's nothing right? like the Fennhorn Gardens.
0: There really Do are. You, right? think it's,
1: right. you know, the, everybody's nice garden. No. This, this is a world apart. It's, um, the light there, for instance, and, and it's in another town nearby, is not like the light anywhere else on earth. So they brought in, um, not Finhorn, but uh, people in the area, brought in some scientists to find out why the light's so different. And and they couldn't find out. Um, that There's no reason for it, but it's different. And we like to think that it's the, the over angels over the Finhorn Gardens that make it, the water is different. Um, it, it, it's... Um, it, in, in the Finhorn Garden Foundation area, there's about 140-some that live there, and uh, about 120 that are employed uh, by the Finhorn Foundation. They, they run workshops and talks year-round. So you can go there any time of the year. And then they own uh, several other very large uh, plots of land where they raise on. Um, a lot of their gardens, and their vegetables and stuff are from these other plots. And then in Forays, a nearby city, they own the Clooney College and the Clooney Hotel. And then they have a series of buses that go back and forth, back and forth. So you can have a place to stay while you're there. But I, I my first day there, I... I, I um. It was, it was kind of uh, late in the evening, and, and a bunch of us went to tour the original garden. And if, if your audience doesn't know anything about the Finhorn Gardens, let me just quickly say that Finhorn is kind of like a peninsula. And out at the end of the peninsula, of course, is the ocean. And then there's the Finhorn Village. And then if you're looking at the Finhorn Village, to the left is a very large bay. To the right, <laughs> you're going to love this, to the right is a military air base.
0: Yes, that's right.
1: A very active, loud military air base. It was very active during World War II. It's still active. And in between are the Finhorn Gardens. Now, the Finhorn Gardens, um, uh, uh, they they call it the Finhorn Foundation now, um, to sort of separate it from the fishing village. Uh, But that was nothing but sand and some leftover uh, land from the air base. So you've got a runway there, and you've got just a lot of sand and junk
2: that's all it was.
1: And Peter Caddy and Eileen Caddy and and Dorothy McLean and a couple of other guys who came in later on were directed there by angels and fairies, and they were told to garden, and they and they learned how, and from from the angels that they talked with from God they had. Uh, Eileen Caddy could channel God or get messages from God. Dorothy got hers from the angels and the fairies. Um, And they learned from them what to do about this place. And they turned it into a paradise that is so incredible that they were able, in the north of Scotland, they're not that far from the North Pole, so it's in northern Scotland, it's cold, it's windy. In this place, they were able to break every rule of gardening known to the human race on this planet. Mm-hmm. They broke them all, and they were able to raise and do the impossible. And by the way, they still are. So, you know, you you go into the original garden and the original place, because it's much larger than that now, and it just takes your breath away. I'm not kidding. The soil hums and all of the um, foliage and all of the plants, they sing. They've got trees and bushes and flowers there I've never seen before. On this planet, and they've got colors of flowers I've me? never seen.
0: Before. Yes, they do.
1: So you've got all these people that are living their truth and um, going about their duties every day, and there's creativity everywhere, and the place will just blow your mind. So put it on your bucket list. Do you want to go to the Fenmore Garden?
0: Oh, that's the reason. One of the reasons that they should be receiving your free monthly newsletter to find out all yeah, about gonna, it.
1: they're going to find all about the Finhorn Gardens.
0: So that's pmhatwater dot com. Right, and go and, up there and sign up for the newsletter.
1: And there's one other thing that they're gonna they um, they're gonna see first of all when they get on my web website. They get on the, the, um, the main page, the, the front page the, the, uh, of, of my web, web, website. I'm asking everybody, anybody in the whole world, if you think you had a near-death experience or something like it between womb and the age of five, I'm running a new research project. I've already done children. I'm going to go back and focus only on womb to the age of five. Oh. Mm-hmm. And, if, uh, and the, well, it's not a form. The page is called, uh, it's the call for volunteers. Just download it. Fill it out. It's not a quiz. It's, nothing on there is numbered. The whole call for volunteers, that whole page, is designed to help you go back and remember and connect and describe and expand. So write your story to me or draw and also draw send me a drawing as well, if you will. But you know, use the inspiration in the call for volunteers. uh, what i'm looking
0: for well you also note what is so crucial to children is having adults their families and friends simply listen to them without judgment or bullying why is it so important to let them know it's okay to be like they are why is that so important
1: well i'll tell you why that's so important um The average adult takes 7 to 10 years to integrate their experience. There's a lot of them who claim they can do it quicker. Believe me, they can't and they didn't. Uh, But the average child takes 20 to 40 years to to integrate their experience. Mm -hmm. Because a child does not integrate, they compensate. They have no idea what to do with this. Many of them will tuck it away or they use it to think they're different or they're alien or they're from another planet or they're a hybrid. You know, all these this stuff. <laughs> they just simply don't know what to do with it. And what I found, found in my first study, um, it's in the book, The New Children and Near-Death Experiences, is that those kids who have it between womb and about the age of, of maybe three do not bond to their family. They don't bond to mom or dad. They bond to the other side.
0: When you say the other side, what are you referring to?
1: Uh, they're, they're bonding to the bright ones on the other side. Yeah, okay. Yeah. They're not bonding to mom mm-hmm. and dad. Mm-hmm. And I want, I want to know more about that. I want to know more about what, what their life was like. Um, I've got some suspicions here, because remember, I'm working on the manual now. It's, it's, it's the last book. It's the missing book that I was told by the voice like none other to write during my third near death experience. This is, the, this is the missing book. So after this. The manual's done, you know, I'm free to do whatever it is I want to do. And, and, and one of these things I want to do is take another look at kids because I want to write yet another book that, that I truly feel I have the information to be able to say what all of this is all about. But I want to be sure I have all the information I need. And I'm backing that up by saying, I don't care what group you're in. I don't care if you're with INS, the International Association of near Death Studies. I don't care who you are or where you are. There's a difference, a decided difference, between adult experiencers and child experiencers. And... For those who had their experience between womb and the age of five, they're even more different. And I want to know why. So please, you know, if you're one of these tiny ones, if you had it when you were tiny, tell me about it.
0: Okay, well, we're going to tell us, uh, well, we're going to take our final break of the hour and our bre- final break up tonight. One of the other things you note that's really important, I just wanted to read this, is. On page 99, what's really special is helping someone, lending a hand, expressing love, and forgiving people. What we do for others matters more than what we do for ourselves. And with that, we're going to take our break with Dr. PMH Atwater. And uh, let's see, uh, pmhatwater.com. And it's linked to the front page at 21stcenturyradio.com.
1: Hello, this is Cynthia Andrews, co author of On the Edge of Reality. You can learn more about me at my website, thepathofenergy.com. And you are listening to the 21st Century Radio with Dr. Bob Hieronymus.
0: We're returning with our guest, Dr. PMH Atwater. The book, of course, is Dying to Know You, Proof of God in the Near Death Experience, Rainbow Ridge. Oh, PMH, boy, you've got, uh, we have not touched on four billion things here, uh, but I, <laughs> I must, <laughs> funny. I, I got to make sure that we talk about one of my favoriteest people in the world, Walter Russell. Walter oh. Russell, who was he? Uh, and, uh, and he was referred to by Walter Cronkite, Cronkite as the Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci of our time. Tell us about this great soul.
1: Well, you know, way back when, um, so we're talking late 1800s, early 1900s, we've got Walter Russell, um, very poverty-stricken. There there just was no food, nothing in the house. So um, he started playing the piano. Uh, as a little kid, anywhere he could to earn money for the family so they could survive. He had his first near-death experience when he was seven years old and he declared and felt that he learned uh, about healing, the secret of healing mm-hmm. from, from his near-death experience. Seven years later he had another one. He was 14. This time he was pronounced dead by a doctor, very serious. I think it was black bacteria or something like that, and got even more information. Every seven years until he was in his late 30s, he would have another near-death experience and get more information from the other side. Then he had the big one. And it's sort of like a light experience. And he was in the light for, I forget how many days, like 30-some days. Maybe it was longer than that. Um, No let up. I mean, day after day after day after day, he's in the light. He's not not coming and going. He's in the light. And when it was all over, he... uh, he couldn't even hold a pencil in his hand. He couldn't relate to the earth plane at all. His family thought he was insane, wanted to uh, um, wanted to commit him to an insane asylum. Um, and he just refused to go, they couldn't make him go, and he was determined that he would get all of his faculties back and he would be able to, you know, be a reasonable human being again, and he did. Not only did he get all of his faculties back, but he became uh, a prize-winning sculptor, painter. Um, He became a Renaissance man who could do absolutely anything and everything, and especially science. He came back from these experiences, understanding what the universe is, how it was made, and what it's for. And he wrote a book, let's see, what was it called? The Universal One, I believe. It's all in the book. one of them, yeah. I have a copy of it. And... All of the information in that book came from his near-death experiences and his um, 30-some-odd days in the light. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you get that book, and it's going to blow you away. I don't know of any other book in the world that can equal What that man did with science, with the periodic tables, with transformation, uh, he he could, um, uh, alchemy, um, what he could do. And and then he went on to form the University of Science and Philosophy and uh, just what he did from... um, you know, he, he, he never got, I, I don't think he ever got past the fourth or fifth grade, maybe a little bit more, maybe the eighth grade. I don't even know if he got that far. So he didn't get it from school, certainly get, didn't get it from college. When, when you look, at he designed the interstate system. He designed well, all kinds of things. Became a prize-winning uh, uh, figure skater. And brought <laughs> yes.
0: figure skating to the United States. Isn't
1: that something? It's incredible what this guy yeah. did, yeah. and all from his near death experiences.
0: Well, you know, you also introduce uh, your readers to some really interesting folks here. You state that the greatest—oh, no, 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 Miss, I won't touch on that one. You have you have dedicated your work to a new science needed to explore the objective side of human consciousness and the subjective side of matter. Why is that so important?
1: That's Wolfgang Polly.
0: Yeah, you got
1: the it. The physicist, he decreed that a new science need, needed to explore the objective side of human consciousness and the subjective side of matter is needed, not mysticism but a science willing to incorporate objective and subjective avenues to discovery while recognizing the legitimacy, hear this, the legitimacy of personal experience.
0: Personal experience, yes.
1: This is is one of the most incredible physicists that has ever lived, Wolfgang Pauli, And he sees, he knows that so we've got to see the objective with the subjective. Just look at what we've discovered now with DNA. It's the energetics that runs the DNA. We couldn't have the DNA molecule without the energetics. The energetics is, is, is the most important part. So you've got the objective, you've got the subjective, you've got the spirit, you've got, you've got matter. until you research, and cover and investigate both avenues you haven't got it and and what what you think your findings are are only half of the picture
0: mm-hmm. just like our physical body yeah. and just like our soul, half of the picture. Uh, tell us about the research, and we're running out of time, but this is so important. Our listeners should know about it, by Dr. Pim Van Lommel, MD. Lommel. sorry.
1: Pim Van Lommel.
0: Uh, whose work was verified by Dr. Sam Parnia, MD.
1: Well, Pim was a cardiologist. He's in Holland. And he involved 30-some hospitals. I forget how many people. And, um... You know, investigated their near death experiences, and then he did. He did the first and largest um, study of near death experiences. That is, hmm, I forget what the word is. But but, uh, you investigate before, during, and after. So he's got the whole span, and that's, in other words, not just after. But he did the whole span uh, of people that were in the hospital and then uh, took a look at those who declared they had a near-death experience or something like it. Uh, he had a team of people that worked. Uh, and it, it, his work is the deepest, most detailed, uh, best research yet, yeah. on uh, scientific research, on the near-death experience. Mm-hmm. There have there, been a number of them that are really good, a number of them, uh, scientific experiences, uh, uh, experiments that are really good, but his is the be- best. It is the largest. It is the most detailed. It is... he, he, started, he was completely careful. He, you know, again and again and again, went back again and again and again with these people. I mean, you cannot fault him. A lot of medical doctors have tried, a lot of scientists have tried, and they have failed. You can't fault his work. It is that good.
0: You also have looked very carefully at skeptics and um, considered what they've had to say. What are your conclusions about skeptics?
1: There's not a... Skeptic on this planet that has researched the entire near-death experience. They do piecemeal. A little here, a little there. Well, maybe it's, you know, um, maybe it's the dying brain. Maybe it's anoxia. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's that. Just one thing. All of it is piecemeal. None of them have in, have investigated the entire phenomenon in children and adults, plus the pattern of physiological and psychological after effects in children and adults over time.
0: We have you about. You
1: can't name one because there isn't any.
0: That's right. well, we have about thirty seconds. What would you like to leave our listening audience with?
1: That they, that, they, that they are more than they think they are. Yeah. You know, the near-death experience, if you're going to be truthful about it, reveals more about life than it does death. Mm-hmm. And what it reveals is absolutely stunning.
0: That's right. But you we have,
1: are more than we think we are.
0: You have done an absolutely stunning book. This is an extraordinary piece of literature. Thank you for joining us, Dr. PMH Atwater. And that's the end of the hour. 21st Century Radio is produced by Hieronymus and Company. Our executive producer and research assistant is Laura Cortner. I'm Dr. Bob Hieronymus. And remember, shine your shoes and get a haircut.